0: And uh, we're going to start in Colossians today. Yes. I know. So just a little further down from where Robin was, I'm going to be in chapter 1 of verse 13. And, and last week the Lord, um, he came and he brought his word and... And when we take his word seriously, it changes things. It changes things first off in our lives. Then it changes things first off or second off in your family. And then it will change things in your atmosphere, around your workplaces. And it will change eventually the entire world. There's a promise in the Bible that God says, as the water covers the sea, so will my glory cover the earth. It will happen. The thing is, is that he does not force his glory upon the earth. He always uses his family. Now, God can use whoever he wants. That is true. But he's a father first. He is not a God who does whatever he wants first. He is a father first. And so fathers want their family to do their business (laughs) So if God is our father, and he is a father first, he wants his family through the love that we have for him and the love that he has through us, as Ariana quoted today in John 17, that we would be one as we are one in Christ Jesus, right? The family of God, the love of God. That this family would go and administer his kingdom that he would do nothing without first revealing it to his prophets. God does nothing without first revealing it to his prophets. He doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to his family, and his family believes that he can do it to the othermost. And then when he does it, it gives you a testimony to your sons and daughters that God can do it to the othermost. And then that ministry of faith gets passed down from generation to generation To where you have a whole family of God here, brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in the testimony of the word of God. And that's how it changes your world, right? We have overcome Satan by what? The blood of the lamb. Yes, but by the word of our testimony in Christ. Not loving our life, not loving what comes in this life, but not loving our lives even unto the death. How often do you take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says, every day? Don't love your life, even unto the death. This is a hard thing, yes. But it is easy in Christ Jesus, right? We have been um, doing a a series in our Wednesday nights for those that are in the Kingdom 3 class. Uh, It's been a lot of testimonies. That is literally what it is. It's testimonies of brothers and sisters in Christ of the faith that came before us or during our time. And the uh, maybe tapestry, maybe the theme, I don't know. Everybody has their own theme, but we are recognizing the willingness and one of the men that was given that, and how much he said, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus. If I'm going to give my life to the Holy Spirit, then he's going to come in as God. And not just a part of the God that I want in me, but I have to give up all of me, and I am literally just an empty vessel. Billy Sunday said that a broken vessel must constantly be under the tap. A broken vessel must be constantly under a running tap. If you have a broken pitcher of water, You must constantly keep it under the tap to stay filled. And that is the emblem of what it means to be a Christian, that we would be broken and submitted before God, but you would be constantly submitted to the tap of the Holy Spirit that is constantly flowing out of you, because out of you will come rivers of living water. If you're broken and submitted unto the Lord, that running water constantly flows through you. A broken vestal is constantly under the tap. That's who we are to be. Rhys Howells said, bend me. Bend me was the Welsh revival prayer. That we would be broken and bent before God submitted. Last week, the Holy Spirit gave us a word for holiness now. Um, Let's go to Colossians 1, verse 13. This is where it begins for today. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. When we have been saved, when you hear that word saved, what are you saved from? You are saved from the kingdom of darkness that you were born into. We were born into evil. You're like, whoa, 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 that's biblical. Yes, it is biblical. In the Psalms, it says that I was conceived in sin. The heart is deceitfully wicked. No one can understand it. It is evil since I was born. I would rather be in the darkness than be in the light. It says in John 3, because I am comfortable there. You're only comfortable where you are known, <laughs> where you're familiar. We, were more, we are more comfortable in the darkness than we are in the light of God. But yet before we were born, our spirit man was with God. And that's why we have this clash that's why you have your, your soul in such a tumultuous place before you come back to the Lord. Because your spirit man, which was predestined before time began, was in the spirit of God, is crying out to be back with him. But your flesh is said, I've been born in darkness, I don't want nothing to do with that. And somebody has to convey you from one way or the other. And the only way to get from one place to the other is through one man, his son. Whose son? The Father, who conveys us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of his love. It is a great love that Jesus has paid for you to be conveyed from darkness into light from darkness into the kingdom of God. It was a severe price that he paid because what is hindering you from going there easily and just walking back and forth is that no one can come before God if there be sin in him. It is what separates us. The wages of our separateness from God is death. Sin is what separates us. It's like a magnet that repulses God away or the other way around. God comes to you and you feel repulsed by God because of the sin in you. That's called a guilt consciousness where you don't want anything to do with God because his holiness comes near you and your flesh says no. And Jesus has to come with such a great love that, re- that removes that repulsion, that removes that magnet force that drives you away. And he says, no, I'm going to make a bond of reconciliation to bind you to myself. And even if you are faithless, I will remain faithful. Because I have bought you with a severe price on a cross for your sins. And I love you enough that I will never let you go. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is what has happened. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. From that repulsion, from that bond, from that bondage, and set us free to go forward into his glorious light. Now he does he says, that Those who are free are free indeed. I said at liberty the captives so they are there free to go where they want, but the bond servant comes back and gives his life to the master and says, I will go wherever you go. That's what a bondservant does. And you read in the Bible where it says about the bondservant, the bondservant of the Lord, the bondservant of the Lord. That's where the master set free the son, and the son came back and said, I will be a slave to you for the rest of my life. Pierce my ear, and I will follow you and never leave you. That's the attitude of the servants of God. Are we children? Yes, we are children of God, but we're also slaves of righteousness. It says in Romans. Yeah. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son. The kingdom of Jesus, who is the Son of His love. 14. In whom, this Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth. All things that were created visible and all things that were created invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And here we have to understand delegated authority. That all visible thrones and all invisible thrones are created for him. They're created for him. You can have invisible thrones in the spirit world. And there are principalities and powers that want to rule from those thrones. And that's why you have, over the ages, time periods where you see dictators who have said yes to the spirit world of an influence, of Nazism, fascism, communism, socialism, the isms. These are spiritual forces that need agreement of those that are in the visible world to influence peoples. And mankind, in greed and in selfishness and power, says yes, yes. And gives them authority for a time and a season to influence the nations. To spread darkness because Satan is going down. He's trying to take as many people with him as he can. But there is another kingdom that every day that they say, No, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Conveys that in their area of influence. They say, well, I'm just at home. I'm just... And that back cubicle over there on Abe Street, nobody sees me over there. And it's like, the Lord says, I need people who believe this word. There was a shepherd that was in the middle of a field, day in and day out, who one day got called to go feast with his father. And there was a prophet there named Samuel. He was sweaty and he was smelly. He'd been with the sheep. And God called him because he said, I saw you in the field. You're going to be king over my people. And out of your lineage will be my son who will bring the kingdom of God. This is David, King David, of whose throne Jesus will sit upon. And if he did not believe that God had something for him, he wouldn't have changed the world. It doesn't take much It really doesn't take much for God to change the world. All it really takes is a yes in your heart. It really does only take that much faith. It says that if you had faith of a mustard seed, the mountain in front of you would be raised and go to the sea. Who supplies the mustard seed? Is it God? No, it's you. It's you. It's us. It's this house and this family. It's this body of Christ across the world. It's all it takes. He is before all things, in verse 17. He is, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. That in all things Jesus would have the preeminence. (laughs) That he would be at the top of the charts in all things. Verse Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach in his sight. There is is a key point that you must understand is that in 21, and you who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. That alienation is that repulsion. That alienation is the sin that separates us. The alienation is what we feel That the devil tells us, you're not wanted. You are alone. God has been against you. You are an orphan. No one is for you, not even your own family. That warring in your mind is in your soul, the place where the flesh and the spirit collide. The soul is the mind, your thoughts, your will, what you choose to do, and your emotions, what you feel. You can be ruled by your emotions, lust, anger, greed, covetedness, envy, jealousy, right? Those things can overwhelm us. But by the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That those emotions are under control, not the Spirit of God. That those emotions do not rule you. I have self-control by the Spirit of the living God because the Spirit is now in control. But that alienation, that alienation is in your mind. The war is in the mind. The battlefield is in the mind. Have you not heard have you heard that? The battlefield is in your mind. Especially those who have been called unto Christ, there is that war, especially if you're a new babe in the faith, that war of am I really God's is God really mine? Am I really the son of God? The revelation has to be coming to you of I am the bride of Christ. I am the beloved of God. I am a son of God. I have been betrothed to Him. I am a warrior of the faith. I am a good soldier. I am a farmer of the faith. I am a right. I am a bondservant of Christ. Those are revelations of who you are as you go in this journey that you have to come to know. I am a plowman of the faith. I am a slave of righteousness. What does that really mean? It's that battlefield in your mind where you feel like I am not that. Some of you have heard those things that I just said and said, I'm not that. Some of you have heard those things that you are in Christ Jesus and said, I'm not that. That's the battlefield that we're talking about. It's the flesh that says, you are not worthy. And the spirit that says, you are. By the blood of Jesus. By what it says? By the body of his flesh through death. By the body of his flesh through death, 22. When we take and eat, what are we eating? What are we eating? We're eating the bread that represents the body of his flesh, that these these things that alienate us, these things that expressly make us enemies of God in our mind, that wickedness, the body is supposed to be taking away the remembrance of what his cross actually did. That, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. There's another verse that says, be holy. Be holy. <laughs> And you go, how? And it's, it's that same type of, of thought, I think it says in Colossians, or maybe it's Ephesians, of keep on be being. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be intoxicated with wine. Do you know what I'm talking about? But be being filled. A very strange double English, that because it's not written in English, it's written in Greek, that's like, what does that mean? It just means, just be who you are. And keep being it. You weren't the one who made yourself reconciled. You weren't the one that cleansed yourself of sin. You weren't the one that saved yourself or conveyed yourself from the darkness to the light. You just have to be mine and stay being mine. And you're holy and you're blameless. And you're reconciled in my sight. Be holy. I'm holy. Right? Like father, like son. If the father is holy, I am holy. If the father is righteous, I am righteous. If the father is pure, I am pure. If the father is good, I am good. And you're like, why is there a warring? Because you are still working out your salvation. This is the sanctification of that flesh. This is the sanctification of those ways that you were born into. That he delivers you and delivers you and delivers you from over your lifetime. Right? If we were completely made perfect the day we are saved, boom, you just go to heaven like Enoch. That's what would happen. But he says, no, I'm going to let you be here. (laughs) And I want to teach you my ways. Let me teach you my ways. Let me teach you how I think. Let me teach you what it means to be my son and daughter. And how he does that best is he shows you how you are not him. (laughs) Right? And you're like, God, I'm not like you. And that's when he can come in and truly change us. Have you ever been there? When it's like, God, I keep seeing myself not like you. And it breaks my heart. And at that moment of breaking, the tap can be turned on and flush it out. And that place in your heart is constantly under the tap of the Holy Spirit. And no longer under your control, but under his holiness now. Those places he shows you until you just break it and let it be his. Do you understand what I'm saying? The areas of our soul that we're like, I wanna be like God, I wanna be like God, and it just, you get close and it just, then it just happens again. And I'm not talking about just willful sin, I'm just talking about the attitude that Christ has on the earth that if you were to do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Heaven would come all the time, but then when you try to do it, you go, <laughs> that's my falling short of the grace of God. You know what, I, you know, I know you have been there if you follow Christ. But that's where the body of his flesh through death has come to present me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The broken vessel that remains under the faucet is constantly filled. And he wants that in every area of our hearts and every area of our minds and every area of our soul because that's where the battlefield is. Your spirit man is already filled up full. Like, come on, let's go do this. I have been empowered. I am plugged into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am be being filled. Come on, old flesh. Let's get it going. And the flesh is like, you know, five more minutes. Sounds really nice right now. That's what it is. That's what it is. I want to go and... Um, I want you to see in Colossians that we are being made into the head. And the head is Jesus, right? The body of Christ. What does that mean? It means that you, you, you have to be so connected to the head, right? We all know if you have no brain, there is no body. We all understand the science, I hope, of what this means. But this is way before they knew the science. They just knew that we have to be connected to the head. The Spirit is saying, you have to have the head. He is the fullness of all things. He is the fullness of all things in the body. You must be clinging to the head. You must be basically broken to do what the head wants to do. You must be limp, if you would, so that the head, the brain, can move you and inactivate you and position you, and flow through you, right? If your back is locked up, if it is out of alignment, how many of you are walking? You might be walking, but not very freely, and not with a smile on your face, right? If we come out of alignment, if you come out of alignment in the natural realm, the head has no control. The head can try to do what it wants, but you might not be able to get out of bed because the back is out of whack. The alignment is important. The clinging is important. The I submit is important to the fullness of the Godhead. I want to show you, we already read it, right? In 18 of chapter 1 here, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Go to Colossians 2, 9 and 10. says very something similar. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Then flip over to staying in chapter 2, verse 19 and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So this verse starts off by saying, some of you are not holding fast to the head. How? Well, you got to go to verse 18, (laughs) because that's what we do. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility, that's just religion, and worship of angels, intruding into these things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his, oh, there it is again, fleshly mind, the battlefield of the mind, what the soul decides is what you want and where the flesh says, I want this and the spirit says, no. But the flesh says, I want this and your spirit goes, "Mm," because it's been muted and you won't listen to it. That's how you become disjointed from the head. You see that? Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility Don't fake it. Don't fake the worship. And the worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head. Last week, the Holy Spirit gave a word that was basically Scripture. And one of those Scriptures was coming out of 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read these and uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians twelve, eighteen and 25, when you do not hold fast to the head, you stop that conveying from darkness to light. You stop it. <laughs> and in that area of your heart, you are not holy. It's wickedness. It's lawlessness. It's your way and not his way. But this is what it means to be in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve, eighteen. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary. 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts that you see all the time have no need to be covered, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one one another. So what are we getting at? You're getting at that every family of God Every church, if you would, is like a knuckle in the fingers. Right? We all have different parts, and we all are to be connected. And all it takes is for one part, one joint of the body to feel like it's not necessary because we don't get all the YouTube clicks. We're not seen, we're not known. What about what God told us? What about what God's doing for us? And God has already written in the Word. What are you talking about? Those parts of the body that are not publicly seen the most, I have given the most honor to in modesty, it said. That's just a natural example to what it looks like. And that all are necessary and needed and unique. Your pinky is not the tip of your nose. Your earlobe is not your tongue. But all cannot look at each other and say, You're not needed. We all need to be like the tip of the nose. Then we would be one weird body. And God knows this because we are created in the image and the likeness of Him to move as the bride of Christ moves. But Jesus is not going to have a stiff, out of whack, needs a chiropractor bride. But he's working on one right now. He's having to pop, pop, pop. So that we would be holy as she is holy. And you have to come into the truth of the word says about us. You are unique. You are necessary. Do all that I tell you to do. There's a verse that talks about, I think it's in Luke, but my servants take hold of the plow and they are not worthy if they look back to where they came from. But part of that verse is saying is that you can only plow the field that I put you in. You can only plow the field that he puts you in. If you're looking at other fields to plow, then yours will never get done. If you're looking at how other family members and how other joints are plowing their field and doing it faithfully, then our field will never get plowed. But to reap a harvest, every field must plow, plow, plow. And God says that there will be the day when the plowman will overtake the reaper. Yeah. Yeah. I long for that day. I long for the day. The plowman overtakes the reaper. Let's finish here in Hebrews 12. This is where the Lord has been speaking to us. Hebrews 12, 12, 12 through 15. Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. That means hands that are not working and knees that don't think they can keep walking. Hands that are not working and knees that are not or don't believe they can keep walking. And make straight paths for your feet. Who is making the path straight? We know that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We know that in the word of God, it says that we ask God that would not keep my feet from stumbling, right? But it says, you make straight paths for your feet. He's already told us what to do. A lot of times, we have to just do it. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. If you're not walking, you're lame. But he says... I'd rather you be lame than as you're walking, being out of alignment, and then become dislocated. (laughs) I would rather you not be walking and lame than if you're walking out of alignment, and then you have greater damage to the body if you're dislocated. When you're not in alignment with the Word. But if you come into alignment with the Word and be healed... Now we're moving. That is that lukewarm. I'd rather you either be hot than cold rather than be lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'd rather vomit you out of my mouth, it says in Revelation 3. It doesn't make sense, but he's like, I'd rather deal with the person that's so hurt and lame and not walking and heal them before they get going than to make their dislocation in my body cause greater damage. It's interesting to hear it this way. What causes this dislocation? Oh, we'll keep going. Good question. So what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Be holy as I am holy. Be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without holiness, which no one will see the Lord. That's really what it says. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, where? At yourself, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many have become defiled. There's the dislocation. It's that root of bitterness. Oh, that's why he's been after it. That's why he's been shining light to it in this house, so that what is dislocated may be healed, so that we can walk and plow the field before us with faith and grace and zeal. This message was brought to you by the Garden Gathering Church, a family of Spirit-filled believers in San Angelo, Texas. We long to encounter God's presence and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.thegardenstc.org to realize how the revelation of Jesus Christ can fulfill your mandate in the kingdom of heaven.